Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 5, continuing our study. The first four chapters of Zechariah were primarily encouraging, where God is encouraging the people to continue the work, to finish the building of the temple, to finish the walls and do the work that God had called them to do. In chapter 5, we transition to, for the next few chapters, he's talking about judgment that's coming on Israel, on the world. And then what's going to happen is he transitions into some serious prophecy about what God is going to do with Israel. We're going to learn things about the tribulation period, about the Antichrist, about the kingdom, all kinds of things coming. But today we're going to learn some things about who God is and how he looks at us. And this is an important message today, and I hope that you will uh, listen to it as, as I preach it. Look at Zechariah chapter 5 and verse 1. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. Now, this is not a cinnamon roll. It's a scroll. And he said unto me, now, wouldn't that be a weird thing to see anyway? Anything like a cinnamon roll flying or a scroll. And he said unto me, what seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. The length thereof is 20 cubits and the breadth thereof 10 cubits. Then said he unto me, this is the curse that goeth forth. Look at what it says here. Over the face of the whole earth. For every one that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it. And every one that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name. And it shall remain in the midst of the house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand what you're telling the nation of Israel in this text and what it means to us today in the 21st century. Lord, I pray that uh, you will be glorified by the preaching of your word and help us to understand what it says, what it means, and then what we are to do with it. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the core of these four verses is that sin must be purged. Sin must be paid for. You know, we live in a time, how many of you are thankful that we are under the grace of God? Are you thankful for that? But you can't understand what grace is unless you understand what sin is. You can't understand what you have been saved from unless you understand what God has in store for those who reject His Word. See, God hates sin. Amen? God hates sin. And this passage is teaching that to us. Now, the language is a little difficult, but when you see it put together with our cross-references that we'll go to, I think you'll see that it is pretty clear. Um, so, what is this curse? First of all, let me talk to you a little bit about this scroll. So, he sees this flying roll, and it is 20 cubits by 10 cubits. And it, uh, the basic understanding of a cubit is it's about 18 inches so that's 30 feet by 15 feet. That's how big this scroll was. And it's not a rolled up scroll. It'd be like a flying carpet. That's what it would look like. And to get a good understanding of the size, this room is, is just a little bit more than 30 feet wide. And 15 feet would be from that back wall to about right here. I brought my tape measure in this morning. Maureen helped me measure this section right here so we could see it. So that's how big this scroll is. Now, you could put a lot of writing on that scroll, couldn't you? But what's on that scroll is the Ten Commandments. And it's a scroll that's written on both sides. On one side is the commandment mentioned, thou shalt not steal. On the other side, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt, I believe it's thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, the eighth commandment. It's interesting, or the, I'm sorry, thou shalt not, uh, um, anyway. So what you have is the scroll written on both sides, unrolled, and then it's flying, and the Bible says it flies through the whole earth. And then it says that it enters into the house of the thief and into the house of him that swears. And what happens in that house is everything is consumed. How hot would a fire have to be to melt not only the timbers to nothing, but the stones themselves? 
to nothing. That's an amazing thing. And the Bible says that's what happens in that text. It's interesting. If you take the time, there are two other places in the Bible. We're not going to look them up this morning, but there are two other places in your Bible that mention these specific dimensions. The first is in the book of Exodus, and it's, if you want to write it down, it's Exodus 26, 15 through 25. And if you take the size of those boards in the tabernacle, that's how big the tabernacle in the wilderness was. It was, isn't it interesting? Isn't that smaller than what you would think? This, it's about the size of this platform, a little bit bigger than this platform. That's how big the tabernacle was. There's another place that gives these dimensions, and it's 1 Kings chapter 6, and that's the size of the outer porch of the new temple. So in each place, there's a connection to the, the place where people come to meet God and the presence of God. And it's interesting that that's going to be the standard by which this judgment comes. So look in verse 2 again. Verse 3, it says, Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side, according to it. And everyone that sweareth shall be cut off uh, as on that side, according to it. So you have these two commandments. You have, if you took the, the Ten Commandments in two tablets, two sections of five, Thou shalt not steal is the third. Thou shalt not bear false witness is the eighth. And it's interesting. This is the heart of the law. It's the heart of the law. And that is the basis for the judgment. Now, it's interesting. Keep your place in Zechariah. Put a marker there. We're going to start going to some other passages to understand this. Look at the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 9, such an interesting passage. Verse 1, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. So they're before the house of God, right? And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. Now, where that cherub is, that's the, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. All right. Verse 3, And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Now who is saying this? Okay, I think half the church is asleep this morning. Who's saying this? The Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, and through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So here you have, and these are angels, are identified as men. They're, it's an interesting thing. Every time you see an angel in the Bible, he looks like a man. It's not a winged creature with, you know, that looks like a woman. It's always a man, who, a person that looks like a man. Every time you see an angel. So here, one of them has a, an inkhorn, and it's, it's, it's like it's on his belt, and he's supposed to take that inkhorn and put a mark in the forehead of everyone that is, all of these people that are mourning for the wickedness that's in Jerusalem. Do you know the Bible tells us that, that the wickedness of our nation ought to make us sad? We shouldn't celebrate the wickedness. We should be in mourning over that wickedness because it's an affront to a holy and a righteous God. We need not be happy with iniquity. We need to hate it the way that God does. Amen? Amen. And so those who had that, that feeling, who were lamenting the state of the nation, God puts a mark on them. Look at what happens to the rest. 
Verse 5. And to the others he said, in mine hearing, so Ezekiel is hearing this, Go ye after him through the city, and smite. Let not your eye spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And beginning at my sanctuary, and begin at my sanctuary. Is that interesting? Where is the judgment supposed to begin? At the house of God. Then they began at the ancient men, which were before the house. So that's the house of God. And he said unto them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew the city. What's going on here? God is telling us what is going to happen. It's such an interesting thing. Many people, my message is not on the mark of the beast, but you have all these people who think it's going to be some kind of a computer chip or whatever. The Bible says it's a mark. So do you know what I believe it is? It's a mark. What are they doing here? They're marking with an ink horn. It's a mark. And it's interesting how paganism always prepares people for the mark that's coming. So if you have Hinduism, they have a, they have a mark. Paganism, they mark their, their bodies all over. And we have it in our culture with tattooing. And sometimes people ask me, Pastor, do you believe that tattoos are a sin? Probably not. I don't. There's nothing in the New Testament that tells you not to get a tattoo. Okay? But it's a very pagan thing. To do. The marking of the body was always a pagan thing. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, it tells the, the people of God not to mark their bodies. Isn't that right? It's what he tells them in the law. Don't mark your bodies. It's interesting how all of these pagan things are preparing people to easily receive a mark in the tribulation period. How many of you see how if people are used to getting marks over their bodies, that that becomes easier? That's interesting, isn't it? And so what we have here is a mark that God is telling these, 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 I believe they're angels, to put on the heads, the foreheads of those who are weeping over the sin, and then God has them kill everyone else. Now, one of the criticisms that Christianity gets from unbelievers today are passages like this, where God is calling for genocide. That's what they'll say. And unbelievers will say, how could a, a loving God, I couldn't worship a God that would believe something, or that would call people to do something like that. Well, that, that just reveals two things. Number one, number one, we all think we deserve better. Number two, we don't understand how harmful sin is, how destructive sin is, and how holy our God is. Is. Did you know that God has not changed his mind about sin? How many of you believe that? God has not changed his mind about sin. Praise God that we are not under the law or the curse of the law. We're going to look at that in a minute. Praise God for that. And we're not a legalistic church where you come here and I'm going to put you back under the burden of the law so that you live the way that I want you to live. No, no. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and then it's between you and God what you do with that. Amen? That's what soul liberty is all about. I'm not going to heap burdens on your backs the way that the Pharisees did. And then Jesus said they won't move them with their finger. That's not who we are. And yet what God wrote in the Old Testament about sin, he has not changed his mind. How many of you understand God does not change? Judgment. But where does judgment begin? It begins at the house of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, look at verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin, where? At the house of God. And if it first begin with, begin at us, what shall the end be of them 
that obey not the gospel of God. I love that word obey for the gospel. What do you obey? You believe. The command of the gospel is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And remember, faith is not a work. That's what the book of Romans says. Then if by faith, then not of works. Amen? That's very clear. Faith is not a work. Our obeying the gospel is the challenge the command to believe what God said, and that is that Jesus is God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on that cross to pay for our sin that he was buried, and then three days and three nights later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. And that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross, that paid for all of my sin, and it was enough of a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the whole world. And He is the propitiation, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That means that that blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay for the sins of everyone who ever lived or ever would live if they will simply obey the gospel by placing their faith and trust in Christ alone for their eternal life. But it's interesting. What, look at what the Bible says. Verse 17, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. What does that mean? Look at Hebrews chapter 12. How many of you have noticed this? That people who come to Grace Baptist Church, and it's not necessarily exclusive to Grace Baptist, it's any Bible-preaching church, that someone comes to Grace Baptist and they start growing in the Lord. They begin hearing the things of the Word of God in a new way, verse by verse, looking at the Scripture, looking at the Scripture, the, their eyes being opened to the Word of God. And again, that's not just Grace Baptist. That's any Bible-preaching church. Amen? We don't have a corner on God's Word. We don't have a corner on God's truth. It's all over the world. Praise God for that. But let's use Grace Baptist as an example. So someone comes to Grace Baptist, they're under the preaching and teaching of God's Word, whether it's from the pulpit here or in a one-on-one discipleship that we, like we do or in a Sunday school class, and they're hearing the Word of God. And they decide to walk away. They decide to go back into the world, whether it's through lust or through unforgiveness or through bitterness about the way someone treats them or God is just asking too much of them and they don't want to give it. How many of you have ever seen that happen in a person's life? You know what I'm talking about? Now, let's not be uh, proud about it. The Bible says, considering thyself, right? It could happen to us. Any of us can do that. Now, let me be very clear. Aren't you glad that you don't lose your salvation when you leave the church? Because my salvation is not based in the church. My salvation is based in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. But here's what happens. How many of you have seen this? Someone goes back, and the terminology we use, the biblical terminology, is back into the world. They go back to the world. The Bible says, it's in First Peter, as a dog returns to his vomit. That's people going back into the world. And have you noticed that their life ends up worse than it was before they came to church in the first place? How many of you have noticed that? Why? Because truth, once truth is seen, it can't be unseen. And when you hear truth and understand it, you are now accountable for that truth. And now look at Hebrews chapter 12, what God says about that. Verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So chastening is punishment. And rebuke, that's strong speech about what you're doing. No one likes that. But he says, don't despise it. Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now, dads, how many of your dads here? Raise your hands. All right, hold those hands up, all you guys. 
who are dads. I'm about to, we're about to read something in the Bible about you. All right? Now, how many of you dads would consider yourselves men? Would you raise your hands? Let's find out whether you are or not. Okay? Verse 7 again. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, what does all mean? All. Then are ye bastards and not sons. How many of you did not know bastard is a Bible word? Right? It's such an interesting thing. How many of you know that the word bastard isn't as bad as it used to be? See, God really cares about marriage. God really cares about the legitimacy of the birth of the child. Now, let me say something. If you are here or you're listening through the Internet, whatever, and you were born out of wedlock, that says nothing about you, but it says a lot about your parents. Let me say that again. If you were born out of wedlock, it says nothing about you, but it says a lot about your parents. Amen? Amen. Now, how many of you know how babies are made? <laughs> Is it ever an accident? <laughs> I didn't know that's how it worked. Shazam! <laughs> See... We all understand the process. And if you don't, well, then it's not time for you to understand that yet. And using biblical language allows an adult to speak about those things with children present. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise God. There is an order for that process. And it is holiness and purity, marriage, and then children. How many of you understand that that's God's plan? Yeah. That is God's plan. We as a church are never going to stop preaching that and teaching that. Amen? So, young men, young ladies, that's what's expected of you. That is the expectation. That is the expectation. When people mess up and they go into sin, we still love those people. And if they'll repent, we're not casting anyone out after they repent. Amen? Amen. But it's still not condoned. Let me give you an example. If a young girl gets, gets, is with child outside of marriage, we as a church are not going to give her a baby shower. We're not going to celebrate the sin. Let me say this again. If a young lady is with child outside of wedlock who's a member of Grace Baptist Church, we, are, we as a church are not going to celebrate that. Amen. Now, we'll love that child just like we would love one of my children or one of your children. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. But we will not celebrate the sin that brought about that child's birth. Now, here's what happens in our modern culture. That's hateful. We're not killing anybody. Here's what we don't understand. How much God hates that sin. How much God hates it. So that's part of the teaching of, of Hebrews 12. But the other part of the teaching of Hebrews 12 is that God chastens every son what are we chastened for? Disobedience. Disobedience. Now, let me give you an example of this. So when Jacob was little, we might say, go, go clean your room. You know, and 30 minutes later, you walk into the room and he's sitting on the floor playing with something. Now, how many of you with your children, you told them to clean the room, you walked in later and they're playing with something? How many of you that, that happened? And of course, you beat them with a garden hose, right? No, of course not. What do you do? You remind the child, okay, you're supposed to be cleaning your room. What's the difference? That's not disobedience. That's distraction. Every child needs to be reminded of what they're supposed to be doing. Why? Because they're children. But what does that reminding and correction do? It helps the child to build character to understand how to complete a task. All right? So there you are encouraging, you're correcting, you're reminding. 
When you tell the child to go clean the room and they say, no. And those aren't the words coming out, but that's what's in their heart. Then that child needs to be spanked. That's biblical. That is biblical. Uh, I had a guy one time. I watched him spank the kid. It was like this. And I couldn't take it. I said, boy, you really showed him. (laughs) And the people who don't like that, the people who think that's child abuse, are the same ones that send their kids out to play football. I promise you, I was hit harder playing football than dad ever spanked me. And dad was a dude. I'm just telling you, it's different. Amen? Are are you with me on this? And so this idea of child rearing, if... So, okay, dads, again, raise your hands if you're dad. And how many of you would still claim to be men? Okay. If you have children and you love them, you will spank your child. Now, how many of you know there's a difference between child abuse and spanking? Come on. I've had people, and this this happens, there'll, there'll be a snowflake in the room today who says... Well, you're, <clears throat> you're condoning beating children, child abuse. Okay, now because we're in the 21st century, I have to say, okay, don't abuse your children. Does anyone here really think that we're for child abuse? You've got to take your brain out and play with it to think that. People are so stupid. So if you had that thought in your mind, you know what I think about you right now. It's very insulting. It's very insulting. Now, here's the thing. Dads, again, how many of you are dads? If your son's 16, don't spank him. It's too late. In some of your cases, it might not go so well. Some of these kids are big. No, there's other ways to to discipline a teenager, right? That's for children. That's for small children. And what happens there is God provided a place for the correction where they feel pain and it does no harm. It's very difficult to cause pain to a teenager that does not cause harm. Right? So I remember my dad punched my brother once, and it was one of the greatest days of my life. My brother was 16. He was feeling his oats. My mom told him to get out of bed, and he smarted off at her. Dad's shop was right next to it. Dad walked in, grabbed him by the foot, pulled him off the top bunk. My brother comes down. He jumps up and says, what are you doing? And Dad punched him. said, you want to talk to your mother that way? No man talks to my wife that way. Brother went flying back, and he's like this. And I'm in my bed down here watching it, thinking, this is awesome. I don't know about you guys. I think that's great. You know, you want to act like a man, we'll treat you like a man. Anybody that smarts off to my wife in front of me is going to have a real problem. Amen? Again, I asked how many of you guys are men. Well, well, no, what's funny is some huge guy does that, and I punch him. It's going to swap me like a fly or whatever. But anyway, this idea of chastening, What that means is, in the Old Testament era, God would judge sin. In the New Testament era, God has already judged sin on the cross. Isn't that a blessing? And yet, we as believers, judgment must begin at the house of God. So is that at the church building? No. No. But the Bible does say the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is made up of born-again believers baptized into the local church, all right? Now, remember, your baptism doesn't save you. There's lots of people that are going to heaven without baptism. Hallelujah. Like like my friend Dalton says, there's more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Becoming a Baptist has never taken anyone to heaven. Getting saved takes you to heaven. But, but a local assembly is made up of born-again, baptized believers meeting in a specific location. That's, that's what we are. The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. It begins here. It begins here. And that means that we are accountable for what we hear. The reason that Jesus Christ spoke in parables was because he knew that Israel would not listen. So he hid the truth from them 
in the parables. Why? Because they would be responsible in the judgment for the truth that they had rejected. So by grace, he hid the truth from them. And then the disciples would say, what? What are you talking about? And then he would teach them the meaning of the parable. Why? Because they were believers. And so this judgment, it begins at the house of God. Go with me back to Zechariah. Let's, let's get the meaning of it back in, in Zechariah's day. Verse 3 again. Then said he unto me, this is the curse that goeth forth. Let me, let me just stop. I want to make sure that, that I spoke plainly about what's going on with that. Um, we're not under judgment. If we're saved, we're no longer under the judgment of God. Isn't that wonderful? God, will, if you're, How many of you are saved? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Your judgment was cared for on the cross. I don't know if I can say that boldly enough. Your judgment is cared for. Chastening, not so much. If God loves you, he will chasten you. And let me tell you the way the Bible describes that chastening. It's not joyous. It's grievous. Sometimes people ask this question, man, I'm saved. Why is all this trouble in my life? Maybe you're being disobedient to God in some area. You need to ask yourself that question. Amen? You need to ask yourself that question. The way of transgressors is hard, the Bible says. The way of transgressors is hard. Do right. Do what God has asked you to do. Now, remember, we're not saying you've got to wear the right clothes, you've got to have your hair cut right, you've got to listen to the right music. You gotta... That's not what I'm talking about at all. But now, does God care about your clothes, your music, and all? Does God care about that stuff? Of course He does. Of course He cares about those things. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the things that God tells you to do in His Word where you know, and the Bible makes it very clear, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is God's going to chasten you for that. He's going to chasten you for it. All right, verse 3 again. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it, and everyone that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. So one's on one side of the scroll, one's on the other side of the scroll. So what is, what is God talking about here? He's talking about the law and that the judgment is based on the law of God. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. You know, just a comment on the child-rearing thing for you dads. Um, some of you are really preparing yourselves for a world of hurt and trouble because you're not teaching your children to obey now. How many of you understand this? It's easier to correct a 2-year-old than a 20-year-old. I've been here for 21 years. I've been saying this for 21 years. The people that listen to what the Bible says about those things and raise their kids right, their kids do great. But over and over again, the people that allow the surliness. How many of you know what I mean by surliness? The people who allow that, they end up with surly teenagers who will not receive instruction. And then what do you do? What do you do? So it's really important that we get that. And it's all based in love. Man, I love you. I love your kids. God loves you. He loves your kids. And, and the, the only way that they understand obedience to God is when they have to obey mom and dad and that mom and dad agree on it. You know that there are some parents that, that think they love their child too much to spank them. Well, that means you're just treating that child like a bastard. That's what it means. You're, you're just wrong. You need to submit to the scriptures. You're being foolish. Don't be foolish. Submit to the word of God in these areas. You know what God will do? He'll give you joy. Now, let me just tell you something. I know sometimes people think, well, boy, your house must have been just miserable. We laughed nonstop raising our kids. It was a nonstop blast. We had a wonderful time. There were times when correction needed to be made, and we made that correction severely. Why? 
so they'd remember it and I didn't have to do it again. You can ask my kids about specific times they were disciplined. Hey, do you remember? (laughs) Yes. It was very memorable. (laughs) All right. 1 Samuel chapter 2, look at verse 2. There is none holy. Of course, this is that wonderful prayer of Hannah. There is none holy as the Lord. For there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Isn't that a great verse? Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. Look at this. And by Him actions are weighed. Do you see that? By Him actions are weighed. Here's what we do. I don't think that's that bad. I don't think that's that bad. Well, nobody cares what you think. When it comes to sin, it matters what God thinks. Right? We have all these guys that work at Honda. We have Honda engineers, and they're going to design a new engine casting. Do you understand? They don't care what I think. Do you know why? I don't even know what an engine casting is. (laughs) Nobody cares what I think about that. We don't really understand righteousness and sin. God does. And so it's judged by God. It's really important that we see that. Go with me to Romans chapter 7. You understand that was the purpose of the law. While you're turning to Romans 7, let me read you a verse from 2 Corinthians 10. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Here's what we think. Well, I'm not as bad as him. I don't behave like him. I treat my wife better than he does. That's not the standard. All right. So now go to Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 10. And the commandment, which was ordained to life. These are the the commandments of God. This is the law. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Now look at this. This is so interesting. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Understand, that law God gave, there was nothing wrong in the law. How many of you are thankful we're not under that law? But there was nothing wrong in that law. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For had I not known lust, I'm sorry, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So my covetousness, I wouldn't have known that was even wrong unless God said, don't covet. What is it to covet? It's to to desire something that's not yours in a way that becomes consuming. So um, Eric Kindig has, is it a challenger or a barracuda? Challenger. He really is causing his preacher to covet, and I think that we need to judge him for that. Well, covetousness saying, I don't think he should have that. I think I should have it. I want that. It's mine. Precious. It's mine. Covetousness. Covetousness. No, I love it that he's got that. Would I like to have it? Yeah, I would. Would it make my life any better? No. Is there anything I want to give up for it? No. It would just be a bonus, okay? There's a difference between wanting something, desiring something, and coveting something. Are you all with me on this? Covetousness is you look at your neighbor, you look at their house, you look at what they have, and it's just like Napoleon Dynamite, I want that. Remember that? That's that's the idea. So now, the Bible says here, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? No. God forbid, and and we understand that. Go to Galatians chapter 3. We're trying to get a good understanding of the law, the curse. Remember what it said in verse 3 of Zechariah 5. This is the curse. All right, so Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 10. For as many 
as are of the works of the law are under the what? The curse. See, this is how we know for sure that the scroll in or the roll in Zechariah chapter 5 is the law. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things that were written in the book of the law to do them. All right? Everyone that says they're going to keep the law, then they don't keep the law, they're under the curse. Keep your place here in Galatians. Go with me to Exodus chapter 19. This is such an interesting part of this story that I know I have preached here before, but I'm sure that people have missed it. And this helped me understand this issue more than anything else. Now, how many of you know that it's impossible for anybody to keep the law? How many of you know that? You can't do it, all right? So look at Exodus chapter 19 and verse 7. So Moses has come down from the mountain, and God has given him the law. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, look at this, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Do you know what they should have said? They should have fallen on their faces before God and said, Oh God, have mercy on us. We can't do this. This, this burden is too heavy. We can't do this. Do you know what God would have done? He would have had mercy. They were so arrogant. They were so prideful that they said, I got this. Remember Craig Peak when he came and preached for us? One of my favorite I got this stories. We were on the New River. We were going to see this, this old Baptist, uh, Martin Gamble, who was kind of the Paul Revere of the, the Revolutionary War. Paul Revere rode eight miles. Martin Gamble rode 125 miles to tell the people that they were coming to Kings Mountain. So uh, Colonel Shelby was one of the people that he rode to tell. Shelby County, Ohio is named after him. Anyway, Martin Gamble. We're on our way to that, and we got in canoes. And a bunch of guys had never been in a canoe before. Craig Peake, he said, so we're on there on a dock or whatever. He said, I got this. He stepped into the canoe and the canoe turned over and he went straight into the water. It's one of the funniest things I ever saw. That is just the best I got this story. <laughs> right? What the people did, what the, what the Israelites did, God gave them the law through Moses and they said, I got this. And you know what happened when they said that? They were placed under the curse because they couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep it. They were placed under the curse. Look with me at um, Galatians 3. Go back to Galatians 3. How many of you can tell that my mind's not working quite right today? Have you noticed that? I'm struggling. Pray for me. Um, so Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us. So what does that mean? He's, he's, he paid our price. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. It's so wonderful that Jesus Christ, He took us out from under the burden of that law. There might be someone in this room today, and you're still under the burden of that law. You think that you have to behave a certain way to go to heaven. No. No. What are you going to do to impress God? He made everything. Anybody ever seen the Grand Canyon? God made that, and your works are going to impress Him. Right? We can't do anything other than, by grace, come to Him. Look at Luke chapter 21. It's important for us to understand that the law has not gone away. Luke 21, look at verse 33. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. Look at this. So that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare, it shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Wait a minute. 
that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Go back to Zechariah chapter 5. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew, he's talking about the law there. Look at verse 3. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. You see, that snare, it's still there. That snare is still in the world. That snare is that God has pronounced judgment on everyone that does not keep every bit of the law, and we cannot keep it. The only hope is to be redeemed from the curse of the law by the blood of Jesus Christ. So how is God going to judge the world? That scroll flying through the whole world, how is He going to do it? Go to John chapter 12. Verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. He that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge not him. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. See, the Bible makes it very clear that God is going to judge the world not by what anybody thinks or what any court of law has determined. The judgment of God is all based on the word of God. That's why it's so important that we know the Word of God and believe the Word of God and submit to the Word of God. Now go back with me to Zechariah and let's finish this up for this morning. Zechariah chapter 5. All right, verse 3. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it. And everyone that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. Now remember, they said to, God said to Israel, He said that you've robbed from me. And they said, Wherein have we robbed from thee? He said, In tithes and offerings. So whatever you commit to God, God expects you to pay that. That's, that's the stealing. On the other side, swearing. The idea of swearing is not swear words. The idea is taking the name of the Lord of God, of the, of the Lord God, in vain. It is not obeying what God said about his name. If you say that you believe in God, then believe in God. If you say you believe in God, you're going to add something to it. That's not believing in God. That's why in Galatians chapter 1, the Bible says, let him be accursed. If anyone brings another gospel, which is not another, let him be accursed. That, that's taking God's name in vain or doing something that you say is in the name of God that violates God's word. You can't do that. You can't do that. Now, look at what it says. Who is going to bring the judgment? Verse 4. I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts. And it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name. And it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. Do you know what the Bible says is going to happen? That when Jesus Christ comes back in judgment, that the elements will melt with fervent heat. How many of you can see that's exactly what's talking, what this is talking about in Zechariah? How are those stones going to melt? That is what God is going to do. I will bring it forth. The God who brought the flood, the God who rained fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, the God who called for the killing of the firstborn in Exodus, the God who did that, that is the God that's returning. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels 
in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And look at the phrase again. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall punish with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the power of His glory. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is the one who is going to bring that judgment. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 11. And for this cause, what's that next word? God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Anyone who has heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Lord returns in the rapture and we are all taken away, every saved person, those of you who are left, God is going to cause you to believe a lie so that you're not able to be saved. Today could be your last chance to hear and believe the gospel. And every time you've heard the word preached, every time you've rejected, every time you've heard the truth and then rejected it, every time you've been under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and rejected it, you are going to stand before God and be judged for all eternity based on that rejection of His truth. And if you live long enough for the rapture to take place and the believers are taken out, you'll say, well, wait a minute, I know the truth, I'll believe then. No, God will cause the delusion to come on you that you will believe a lie and you will will not be able to be saved. That's why the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Look, I love to preach encouraging sermons, and that is the, that's my desire. But this is not an encouraging passage. Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, that's not encouraging. The only encouraging thing about that is that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We don't have to be under it. And the, the only encouraging thing about the chastisement is when I'm chastened. Okay, I guess I'm His. <laughs> I praise God. I guess I'm, Lord, thank you. Help me learn the lesson. Because I don't want to take this spanking again. That's the encouraging part of it. The hard part of it is everyone you know that's not saved is under that judgment. It's our job to tell them. We have to tell them. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, this might be your last chance. Now, I'm not a false prophet. You could live 100 years. I don't know. But how many of you also recognize that life is short? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, Jesus said. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. If you're here today and you've heard the preaching of the word of God over and over and over again, but you have never submitted to it, you are under the curse. And Jesus wants to redeem you from it. Trust him today. Believe in him today. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we understand that you are sending your word.